We'll take a look at the book of Daniel this morning. Daniel gives us a big picture on world history. In fact, of all of the books of the Bible, not only is it prophetic in that it predicts the future from Daniel's time, but it also lays out a lot of the parameters for world history from Daniel's time and even beyond our time. And it actually sets a foundation for Bible prophecy. Graham Scroggy calls it the greatest book in the Bible on godless kingdoms and also the kingdom of God and that relationship. We need to think biblically. We need to have develop a biblical worldview. The book of Daniel sets the big picture parameters for a biblical worldview. This is Mary Lee encouraged us to think in terms of biblical principles, in terms of the tragedy in Paris this week. We need to evaluate everything in terms of that big picture as well as how it filters down to you and I in terms of biblical worldview. Daniel gives us that biblical worldview in terms of kingdoms, and therefore it puts the United States within that context. So think in terms of the big picture in Daniel. Walred, a great teacher and writes books on eschatology, he says, among the great prophetic books of Scripture, none provides a more comprehensive and chronological prophetic view of the broad movement of history than the book of Daniel. Later on in the quote, the book of Daniel is essential to the structure of prophecy and is the key to the entire Old Testament revelation. And that's one of the reasons why we want to look at it, because it sets the framework and it actually sets a foundation for the Olivet Discourse in the New Testament. And we will see Jesus refers not to Isaiah in the Olivet Discourse, Now, there's allusions to all the prophetic scriptures, but he specifically refers to the book of Daniel. Of all of the prophetic scriptures in his prophetic overview, he refers to the book of Daniel. We'll see that and look at that when we get to the passage. Another crazy guy says, as far as eschatology is concerned, Daniel is the most important book of the Old Testament. He's wrong. (laughs) You can probably figure it. Just some unique features of the book. In the Bible, there are three divisions that you find described in the New Testament. You don't find these divisions referred to, well, you might refer to Moses, but in the New Testament specifically, the Bible is divided into three parts. Does anyone know what those three parts are? History. No. Old Testament, New Testament, maps. No. Okay, the Torah or the books of Moses or the law. The law. The prophets. And the prophets. Law and the prophets. And the writings. Daniel, where is Daniel? Not in the prophets. He's in the writings. And if you study the writings, they include primarily wisdom books. 
And a lot of scholars believe that Daniel shows, it in terms of politics, in terms of world history, reveals more wisdom in relationship to, to that than prophetic. Although I think there's obviously lots of prophetic literature in the book of Daniel. He's called more of a politician and a historian. He rises, he's a Jewish person, and yet rises to number three in a pagan, unbelieving empire. So, very significant. You could consider him politician. And he gives history from a biblical or from God's perspective. So you could consider him a historian. Even though much of it was his, was future from his time frame. He served as a servant, I guess you could say, in the court of kings. So he exerted lots of influence and in fact revealed some of the dreams of some of the kings or interpreted them. And these were given by God. The book would be considered apocalyptic. There's not too many books that are primarily considered apocalyptic. Apocalyptic literature is a unique genre. It's within the broader genre or literary form of prophecy, prophetic, but apocalyptic is kind of a special form of apocalyptic. What you find in apocalyptic is you have lots of visions. We have lots of visions in the book of Daniel. You also have a lot of figurative, metaphorical language. And one major characteristic that distinguishes apocalyptic from other, thirdly, is you have angelic creatures either revealing certain things, revealing visions, or in some cases interpreting visions and dreams. And you certainly have a lot of that in the book of Daniel, so it's considered apocalyptic. And the New Testament book that would be considered apocalyptic would be the book of Revelation. It has all the same characteristics. There are not too many books. Portions of Ezekiel, portions of Zechariah, these would be considered apocalyptic. And as we already said, Daniel is a key to understanding all Bible prophecy, or what we described theologically as eschatology. That's the book of Daniel. And we will see that it sets a foundation for all Bible prophecy. And it's similar in a couple of characteristics with the book of Revelation, similar to John, in a couple of ways. Not only is it apocalyptic, not only does it deal with end-time events. Now, John writes in the first century and speaks of end-time events, future from the first century. book of Revelation also, in many ways, reflects the book of Daniel, and a lot of the imagery comes out of the book of Daniel. So, Daniel and John have some characteristics that are similar and somewhat related. Daniel is living in exile when he writes the book. Where's John when he writes the book of Revelation? He's also in exile. Daniel is in Babylon, and John is in Patmos, a little place called Patmos. And by the way, when we get close to the end, if not the end of the Alvet Discourse, hopefully, I don't know. In this century? In this century? Yeah, that's good. 
That's a good estimate. I'll give you an overview of the book of Revelation because you'll see that what Jesus does is he summarizes basically the book of Revelation in a lot of ways. Daniel is the foundation to the book of Revelation. Okay, so Daniel, let's take a look at who this character is. He's the author of this book. Now, to start off with, of all of the books of the Bible, Daniel is one that the critics probably try to undermine the most. And part of the reason, because of the significance of eschatology. And one of the main places where they attack is authorship. And partly because Daniel is predicting things that the critics have a real hard time with. People cannot predict the future. Daniel does. And so precisely that they make the case that Daniel could not have written. It had to have been written by someone. It's too precise. And we'll look at some examples when I give you the overview. Not today, but next week, Lord willing. (laughs) Sometime before May, yes. But anyway, Daniel is undermined in terms of the author, but there's lots of evidence to support him. So let's take a look a little bit at that. Well, the reason they have a hard time with prophecy is because it does, in fact, predict, and like Daniel, is very, very precise. So they think that there's an author somewhere in the 2nd century B.C., somewhere in that time frame, after some of the specific events that Daniel predicts that take place in that same time frame. So they say that Daniel, obviously the one that lived in the 500s B.C. could not have been the author. But, so it is very much challenged by by liberal theologians and those critics. But Daniel, in fact, somebody look up a couple of these real real quick today. I don't want to look at all of them. Let's look at chapter 7. Somebody got it? Let's look at Daniel 7, 2. Go ahead. 2 and then skip to 6 and 8. Daniel said, I was looking at my vision by night. Daniel said, and what he is looking, and he's recording what he looked at. So you have these claims of Daniel receiving these visions. Keep reading. And behold, four winds of heaven were stirred the great sea. Six through eight. After this I kept looking, and behold, another one, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. Okay, I kept looking, and now he tells us what he saw. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I kept looking in my visions, and behold, a fourth beast. Okay, kept looking. That's the idea here. And if you read on, I think there's a third time where he says, I kept looking, and he, then he just tells us what he's looking at. Also, if you study the book, you can see reflections from the Babylonian culture, and then later on, after the fall of Babylon, Daniel is still in the city of Babylon, But now it is controlled by the Persians, and in those passages, you can tell that he is familiar with not only the background, but the culture, customs, and that sort of thing. So that is evidence of someone that lived at the time of Daniel and put all the evidence together, and it makes more sense that Daniel is, in fact, the author. And we're going to look at Daniel 9, because... That's the passage, or at least one of them, that Jesus refers to in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. And we're going to see that 
the dating there is is extremely precise. Daniel predicts the very week before the crucifixion. And we'll look at that. So, precise prediction of Daniel 9 with very, very precise dating. And that is also true. That's just one example. He also predicts the events that take place around the time frame of Antiochus Epiphanes, which is, what is that, like 200, 300, somewhere B.C. Very precise predictions. Also, Jesus, obviously I've already mentioned in Matthew 24, 15, refers to Daniel and what Daniel is predicting in Daniel chapter 9. So, Jesus, what more authoritative person do you need to pinpoint the authorship of the book of Daniel? He refers to not only Daniel, but the book of Daniel and an incident that Daniel predicts. Okay? Later on in the intertestamental period, the Maccabeans, the writings, they write, there's four books that they wrote in that historical time frame, and Catholic Bibles have these books in them. Uh, there are references to Daniel as the author of his, his book. And then tradition, all the way up until more recent times with liberal theologians, as always held to Daniel as the author of the book. So I think the evidence is strong enough. The only problem is that the precision of prophecies that obviously are humanly impossible, but if you believe that the book is inspired and that God is the ultimate one that gives the revelation, then uh, there is really, the evidence is overwhelming in terms of, of Daniel. It's just those that have a hard time with the supernatural like miracles and Bible prophecy that would question the authorship. So who is Daniel? Well, his name means God is judge, or perhaps God is prince. Either one. It's not exactly clear one favored over the other, or maybe the two ideas together. God is the princely judge. It's his name, Daniel. Now, Daniel gets another name. He is given a Babylonian name. In our overview, we'll probably look at that passage. He's called Belshazzar, and that's Babylonian. And what they did is they changed the name. Bel's prince. Bel was a pagan god of the Babylonians. So he's named after a pagan Babylonian god or renamed to kind of change his identity, but obviously they didn't change his, his character or his belief system. And we're going to find three other characters whose names are also changed in the early chapters of the book of Daniel. Born in the reign of Josiah, this is one of the good kings of Judah. There were reforms, so he lived through some of the reforms of Josiah. And during that period of time, he would have been young and growing up in that period of time. And by the way, we're going to see next time, and one of the things I'll want to apply, but we can apply it right away. Daniel was probably maybe mid-teens, somewhere in his teens when he was taken. So here's a young man, an example for young people, teenager, who not only rises up, but you see that he's grounded in the word, and he has lots of courage to be able to stand up to the Babylonian 
officials. We'll see that in chapter one. So there's a lot of insight there in what young people can do, and eventually he had great influence, not only in Babylon, but Persia. Born during the reign of Josiah, and as a result, he would have lived through Josiah's reforms, which, dating that period of time, about 621, somewhere in that time frame, give or take a few years, both sides of that date there. So he is familiar with Judaism, obviously, he's growing up, he is a Jewish young man that is steeped in the Bible. A good example for parents raising their children, and a good example for teenagers and young people. Probably very attractive. We get that from 1-4. We'll look at that in our overview. And obviously very gifted. Very gifted. And also you could add courageous. In fact, that's part of his character. So he's taken captive as a youth. And the Babylonians went through Judah, picked out the best athletes, the best scholars, the best musicians, the best amongst the Jewish people. I don't know about athletes, but that's probably just obvious, right? (laughs) And they deported them first, and particularly the outstanding youth, the ones that showed promise, because they would be useful in the Babylonian Empire, And their intention was to retrain them, indoctrinate them in Babylonian culture. And what Daniel does is he absorbs all that understanding and culture, but he never loses his Jewish perspective or his godly perspective. He assimilates all that. So you can go to public schools if you raise up a child or send them to a public school you give them the grounding that they can sort out and be able to separate that that is false from that that is useful. Daniel did that. So they tried to retrain him, reindoctrinate him, and he didn't buy into the system. He kept a biblical worldview. And that's what we need to do with young people and train them. So taken captive as a youth, 605, this would be the first wave of captives that were taken. And his character, obviously, is one of very high character, courage, lots of faith. You can learn principles of faith, how to stand alone, and how to teach young people to stand alone, to go against peer pressure. Young people are under lots of peer pressure, adults as well, not probably so much as young people. And how do you stand alone? Daniel is an example of that. So you can learn some principles from chapter number one. And he has a ministry that extends about 70 years. And some scholars believe that he lived into his 90s. So as a teenager, he continued in ministry and influence for another 70 years. Uh, He lived under the Babylonian Empire, where he exerted lots of influence rose to number three in that empire, and also in the Persian period, because we'll look at world history here, and I'll give you kind of an outline of it, not this time, but next time, based on what Daniel tells us. And in the Persian period, he also had very great influence amongst the kings, several Persian kings. He had understanding in visions and dreams, so he had understanding of what God had, and God revealed things to him. 
gave him insight and wisdom. There's no record of his prophetic ministry between the death of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. We don't have anything in the book, but lots of information about Nebuchadnezzar and then later on as well. Under Darius, this would be a Persian king, Daniel's enemies conspire against him, send him into the lion's den, and God is protecting him. So he'll stand up in the face of death and trust in the sovereignty of God, and obviously the God God had a plan that extended beyond that time frame. Okay? So he saw the nation of uh, Israel released by Cyrus, but most scholars or tradition says that he probably was not one of the exiles, but died in Babylon. So it's a little bit of his ministry and who Daniel is, and we'll see a little bit more when we get into the text itself. So that's the authorship. A little of the background, real quick. Here is world history from eternity to eternity. We have the origin of the nation of Israel, starts in the book of Genesis, so that kind of spans the period of time of the book of Genesis. The whole idea of Genesis is to give us the beginnings of the nation of Israel, chapters 12 through the end of the book. We have the beginnings of all things. We have the origin of the nation of Israel. Then they emerge as a nation, beginning with the Exodus, all the way through the book of Judges. That's a period where they are emerging as a nation. They rise to status of a world power. That's the kingdom of Israel. But because man is sinful, and obviously the leaders are also sinful, the nation declines, and eventually the nation is destroyed. And that's the period of time that we're looking at the destruction of the nation of Israel, where they are in exile. In other words, the nation is removed from the land of Israel, and they are separated. They remain Jewish people. They don't intermarry, and that's part of the reason God expels them, is they have to cling together to survive. And they survive during the exile. Then there's a partial restoration for the coming of Messiah. But a lot of the prophecies pertain to a period even beyond the first century. Some of them pertain to the first century. So we have the destruction. In 605, we have the first Babylonian exiles, and Daniel is in that group. Daniel exiled with others. We don't know how many, but we know of three others that are mentioned in Daniel's book. They all seem to be of the same character. You know, they have godly character. 602, Jehoiakim, this is the Jewish king. He revolts, and that brings invasion of Judah. Judah is overrun by the Babylonian enemies. In 596, Nebuchadnezzar pillages the temple, takes some of the furnishings and utensils, and takes them to Babylon. Ezekiel and others are exiled at this period. By the way, the same slide I showed when we looked at Ezekiel, same time frame. And in 586, Nebuchadnezzar destroys the city of Jerusalem, and that is the date for the fall of Israel and the continuance of the exile of the Jewish people. And they remain in exile for for 70 years. 
So there's a 70-year exile to 535, when the first group returned back to the land of Israel. Now this is under a Persian king, a Persian empire. And by the way, Isaiah predicts that Persian king, let's see, it would be, what, two or three hundred years before? Book of Isaiah? Okay. Predicts him by name. Yeah, and he predicts him by name, specifically Cyrus. Exactly. So we're developing a context, a historical context, so you understand what God is doing through the individual by the name of Daniel. Now, a few years ago, one of the things that Saddam Hussein did, he pictured himself as a new Nebuchadnezzar. And the reason he pictured himself as a new Nebuchadnezzar, it is Nebuchadnezzar that basically destroyed the nation of Israel that we just described in that last slide. And one of the things he did is he tried to recreate old Babylon, and what this is is the gate to the restoration of the ancient city of Babylon. So he put a lot of money into restoring the ancient city, a lot of archaeology. In fact, very good archaeology and very valuable in terms of giving us insight into that period of time. And he viewed himself as the next one that would destroy the nation of Israel. Obviously, didn't work out the way he planned it. Right. So a few little flaws in his, in his plan. Anyway, this is the gate. I'm not sure the condition of it with all that's going on now, but this is an old photograph. But that gives you a picture of what Babylon looked like in ancient times. And supposedly the rec recreation is very accurate. For example, the figures on the, the structure there and that sort of thing. So you had a, Jenny? He says the biggest flaw in his plan is to destroy That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's a huge flaw, yep. It's part of the, of the Babylon gate that's uh, in a museum in Germany. Yeah, there's reconstructions of a lot of things in British Museum. German museums. Yes, in Babylon. How many what? I don't know. But this is a main entrance to, you know, you got to collect the, the money there. And the gift shop. The gift shop's probably inside, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So the exile, here's Jerusalem, the little yellow line to Babylon, that would have been something of probably the probable route of the exiles. So when they speak of the east, it is, Babylon is east of Jerusalem, but you don't go direct because there's desert there. So you have to go north and then east. And during the exile, this is interesting, and we can draw an application from this. The main application to draw if you're not growing, here's an application we can draw in the 21st century. If you're not growing spiritually, you will always be degenerating in some way. So it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we maintain a daily walk with the Lord and continually are growing. You are either growing or you are declining. And we can see when God sends his people into exile, a vacuum, you might say, is created, a spiritual vacuum that is filled by the enemy. And we see that. 
seven major world religions and philosophy rose to the surface during that 70 years. In Persia, Zoroastrianism arose while Israel was in exile. In India, Buddhism and Hinduism had their origins. It's within this time frame of the exile. Very interesting. And by the way, you might have kind of a corresponding idea in the New Testament. Remember when Jesus cast out the demon from that individual? A vacuum was created, and what happened? It was filled by seven even more evil demons. He should have trusted in Jesus Christ, gave his life over, and let the Holy Spirit fill him. But there was a spiritual vacuum, and... Other, obvious demon, obviously demons, filled him and he was in a worse state than he was before. Something similar on a bigger scale happened during the exile. So in India, Buddhism and Hinduism. In China, this is where Confucianism arose. Taoism as well. In fact, there's a third one, I can't even pronounce it, that arose in China. I didn't put it up on the screen. Also in Greece, this is the period of the philosophers. And by the way, there's some evidence that philosophers got some ideas from the Torah, from the law of Moses. All right? So Socrates, Plato, they lived in that time of the Israeli exile. You see that? Vacuum is created. The enemy will fill it with ideas that are false. So it's important that we learn scripture and continually be learning and giving input to those that we have influence over. And even in Judaism, during this period of time, this is where the beginnings of legalistic Judaism that Jesus condemned in the first century. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He's talking about legalistic Judaism. That's where it arose. Now, before that, they had a problem with idolatry, but after, the main problem is legalism and legalistic Judaism. So all of these came about during the exile. And I don't think it's coincidental. I think it's as a result of that principle of if you're not filling yourself with spiritual things, then other things will, in fact, fill that vacuum. Very sobering biblical principle to keep in mind. So that's this time frame, that's the background, Israel's exile, the occasion, obviously, same time frame, Daniel is in exile, and we're given insight into that exile from the book of Daniel and a little bit from the book of Ezekiel, because these are the, what are called, exilic prophets, that's why they're called exilic, somebody just didn't (laughs) think up those words. So we have the kingdom of Israel. It's in the time of Daniel that he begins to predict world history. And we'll look at that when we do the overview. A summary of that we could call the times of the Gentiles. God intended that Israel would be the world empire, and they were. They were the world power during uh, David and Solomon. But because of their sin, there was decline and eventually destruction. But God intended that his people be at the focus of everything and that they be the world power. And after they were 
exiled. Now we have what Jesus calls in Luke, I think it's verse 24, the times of the Gentiles. Where from here on out, and we'll see this in our overview, Gentile empires are the world powers from that point on. Now God's not finished, and there's still a future for the nation of Israel. We'll see that in the book of Daniel as well. Where God will again raise them up, and they will be the focus of world history once again. That's future from our time. But there has never been a time after the destruction of Israel where Israel has has not been dominated by Gentile, pagan world powers. And that's the case today. Times of the Gentiles. In the kingdom, the Old Testament describes, God, again, is going to raise up the nation of Israel. So God is preparing, I think, in our time, because they're... Since 1948, the nation of Israel now is back in the land. They're not in the land spiritually. They're not regenerated. That is future. Olivet Discourse talks about that. Daniel will give the foundation for that. So that's a future period of world history. So that's the occasion. The occasion of the book of Daniel is this period of exile that looks forward and the writing of the book, probably 530 B.C. Now, by the way, the liberal scholars also obviously contest the writing of the book, not only the authorship, but the date of writing. They would put it about 160, 150 B.C. because of the same reasons, because that it's too precise in its predictions. But Daniel lived during the exile, and probably, and he gives some dates, by the way. He dates some of the prophecies. The last prophecy would be around 530 B.C. And if that's the case, then Daniel probably wrote shortly after. So the date of writing, liberals, 167, deny predictive prophecy. Conservatives, 530, those that have a high view of scripture. And Daniel's career would have run from 590 to 530. That's yeah, I need to change one of those. He probably had a career a little beyond 5.30, but writes the book at about 5.30. And he was probably around 90 when he wrote. If you want a timeline, here's a timeline. Here's Judah, or surviving kingdom. 605, that's when Daniel is taken in the first wave. 586 is the destruction of the temple, the city, the nation. So we have the fall of Judah there, and during the exile, we said Ezekiel writes, and probably shortly after Ezekiel, Daniel writes his book. And on the timeline, that would be about 530 B.C. They return, partially restored, that's the other blue line on the chart there. Purpose of the book, and this is probably a good place to stop for today. Probably the number one purpose is to show the sovereignty of Yahweh, or the sovereignty of God, over all rebellious world powers. Daniel is going to predict the rise of all of these world powers, but God is superintending and, in fact, sovereign over all of them. We have a rise and a fall of them, and ultimately, in fact, he predicts four major kingdoms. And the fourth one is going to have a revived part of it. That may still be future from our time. 
and the setting, I think, is being set for that latter part of that fourth kingdom. And then there's a fifth kingdom that destroys all of those pagan kingdoms and sets up that ultimate final kingdom, that's the millennial kingdom. So, to show God's sovereignty, and probably more than any other book, if you haven't read the book, between now and next week, you might read the book and see all of the examples of where it just explicitly speaks of God's sovereignty. Okay? Number two, to show God as faithful to his covenant people in protection and preserving So he's orchestrating the big picture events of world history in order to preserve and to refine and prepare his people. So he's going to protect them. They are going to survive all those kingdoms that want to annihilate them. And in more recent time, he's going to protect them through things like the Holocaust. He's going to protect them today from Iran. They will survive. Iran will fall. Okay? So, to show God as faithful to his covenant people in protection and preserving them. Thirdly, to show Daniel as an example of godliness to the exiles. And he's an example, not only in his period, but if we read his book and learn principles that he applied, we can pass that on to you and I as well. We may have to stand alone. I believe that the church is probably going to face, in the United States, probably a face a period of persecution. I don't know the extent of it or how much, but we should at least be prepared. If the rapture occurs first, great. But we need to be prepared to face whatever God has. The U.S. is an exception to world history in terms of, or church history, I should say. Every period of church history, and even today, everywhere, nearly everywhere outside of the U.S., believers are suffering for their faith, particularly today in the Middle East. In fact, entire populations are either sent away or killed. We ought to be prepared. Daniel is going to be an example of how to live in that kind of a circumstance, how to maintain your godly walk. So that's what we want to look at. Next week, we'll look at characteristics of the book, and then I'll give you an overview of the book itself. Who wants to close for us? Jim. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I praise you that you are before all things, and you all things, Lord God. Lord, I buy you through you, you are all things. Lord, the Lord said that you cause all things to work together for those who love you, for those who are called for it, your application as well, Lord, you said, Lord, leave us, forsake us, so we can say with confidence that you are our helper. Thank you, Lord, you chose us. You brought us into these times. We just ask that you would be the neighbor to say to those that are glory and glory. We pray and ask Jesus. Amen.